things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. We got all sorts of audio to get to you on today's show. It is Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day going down in Kansas City. So we've got some audio from Brandon Schneider and a trio of the players. Also, it was Lance Leipold's weekly time to speak with the media for his press conference. We'll have that audio for you coming up later in the show. And Brett Yormark opened up Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day speaking uh, up kind of top at this like round table kind of thing. I don't know. It wasn't really like a like, full round table. Just kind of an interview up on the uh, dais. So we'll share that for you. There was a couple certainly interesting clips from Brett Yormark. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. NBA kicks off tonight and the Philadelphia 76ers, led by former Jayhawk, Joel Embiid. They are getting two and a half points, but if you want to do that for the promo, you can take Philadelphia money line. You get them at plus odds for the game, taking on the Boston Celtics. Here's what I like for tonight. Okay. But by the way, we got to make some money back because last night was disaster. How does Dude, Justin Herbert not throw a touchdown? Disaster. <laughs> Absolute disaster. I feel so sorry. If you were on oh, that, man, man, apologies to you. Mm-hmm. I know you were on it, Derek. Apologies yeah. to you, Derek. Apologies to anybody else. To everyone. That's, that's so bad. And then Adam Schefter just rubbed it in afterwards by tweeting out how uh, <laughs> Herbert's only thrown has thrown more than one touchdown pass in 36 of his last 37 games. It was just just despicable. Yeah, and obviously bet responsibly, like never bet more than you can't handle. But um, uh, you know, with a game like that, there are definitely moments where Justin Herbert's thrown a touchdown pass in 30 straight games. It's only been yep. one game in his career, like you said, with yep. that Adam Schefter pointed out that he hadn't thrown one. Um, where you start to wonder if this is rigged, you know. <laughs> That goes through everybody's head. But tonight, we're getting back to it. Joel Embiid to have over 27.5 points. I think that's a real possibility. Boston doesn't have Robert Williams. They don't really have like a a great center to stop Joel Embiid. Also, if you do a a parlay on him to have over 27.5 points, over 10.5 rebounds, it's plus 200 odds. Love it. Knock me down for it. There you go. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code KLWN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued as free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com or Sportsbook.DraftKings.com slash basketball terms. Derek. Huge news. Huge news. Huge we'll news. All right, I'm going to give this a rating, 1 out of 10. Okay. Or one we're, getting closer to, we're getting closer to Halloween, right? So, you know, spooky season. There is a haunted house in North Texas where the ghosts get freaky, but not the freaky <laughs> you think. The ghosts supposedly exclaim sexual things mm. in this haunted house. <laughs> okay. So it's freaky in a different way. That's a haunted house in North Texas. Would you go there? 
Now, wait. So when you say this is a haunted house, are you saying the house is actually haunted yes, and like, people yeah. claim this happens? Yes. The house is actually haunted. This isn't and like the a, owner of the house says that she hears ghostly noises and there's like ghosts in the house, but the ghosts are, they exclaim like freaky sexual things. <laughs> this sounds like she has like. Here, let me hear. Hold on. I'll, I'll, teenagers. Here's, here's a quote. This is a direct quote. From the owner of the house. She says, mimicking what she has heard. Yes, I like it like that. <laughs> oh, baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> Dude, this sounds like some teenagers like show up to the outside of the house and start yelling stuff. And she's like, it's ghosts. Would you go to the no, freaky I would not. haunted house? I would not. The better question is if you would go because you hate scary things. I hate, yes. I would not go. No. Even if the ghosts were friendly, not, sorry. Nick no. is of the opinion that going to places that scare yourself is the dumbest thing ever. It's which incredibly I- dumb. Well, okay. No, it's only dumb if you pay for it. So, like, to pay to go, like, why am I going to pay somebody? To go to a scary somebody? movie or a haunted house? Why am I going to pay for me to be scared? What, to, what what part of that makes any sense to you? It doesn't make any sense to me. That's why I'm not doing it. Well, you know what scares me? What scares you? What's going to be the status for Jalen Daniels the rest of the season? That is pretty scary. Yeah, that is scary. We're getting pretty close to Halloween. That is pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. uh, Pete Thamel reported on Saturday, we didn't get this, this yesterday, that the injury to Kansas QB Jalen Daniels will keep him out um, of obviously the game against Oklahoma. And then he added that the timetable for the return from a right shoulder injury remains ambiguous as he's week to week. Look for the earliest potential return being the November 5th game with Oklahoma State after the bye. I mean, I feel like you and I are both kind of on the same page of like, you know, if there was a time where you might want to bring him back after Oklahoma or after the bye week before Oklahoma State would make the most sense. Right? Yeah. You have a whole extra bye week to get healthy. And, and again, I think I, I still am of this opinion. Maybe you might have changed, but I'm still of the opinion of at this point, you know, you've got a veteran guy in Jason Bean that can play well and that could lead you to wins. Why wouldn't you just let Jalen Daniels fully heal? Like, why would you try to rush bringing him back it, it to, in case he gets worse or something happens, whatever, right? When you have a guy like Jason Bean, when th- this is literally what you plan for if you're KU. I mean, obviously, you, you don't plan for guys to get hurt, but the reason, the whole reason that Jason Bean remained your backup quarterback and, you know, you didn't try to move a positions like there was some speculation preseason was for a situation like this. So why not let him have that opportunity and make sure – Jalen Daniels is fully healthy before you try to bring him back. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Uh, again, that says look for the earliest. I don't think that's a surprise. I think a lot of people were expecting Jason Bean to continue to play this week anyway. That would put it at four weeks out if he did return from the Oklahoma State game from when he would have last played. Which this is this is like a similar injury to Quinn Ewers, I think, right? Didn't Quinn Ewers have something similar? I don't know what Quinn Ewers had. I thought... And I he was know. out, I think, four weeks or five weeks. But again, I, I don't... I don't know. Obviously, no, no two injuries to two different people. No, he had a he had a sprained clavicle, which is a oh, little, little different. That um, sounds pretty painful. AC, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. It it says that was originally deemed four to six weeks, but I think he came back maybe a week before then. And I I, I do think that with how comfortable you feel with Jason Bean as a backup quarterback, it does allow you to take more time because the question of what if Jalen comes back and he's 80%, for instance? Yeah. Would you rather have Jason Mean at 100% or Jalen Daniels at 80%? I think because I would want the long term, whether it's the rest of this season or whether it's, you know, for future years, I think at that point against Oklahoma State, if that was the case, I would still roll with Jason Mean. I would too. Because also, you consider what, how you utilize Jalen Daniels or what his strengths are. Like, 
if he's 80%, is he going to be running the ball as much, which is obviously a huge part of what made him successful in the first place, right? So, I, we, again, I don't understand why he would risk doing that, bringing back uh, a Jalen Daniels who doesn't have his full tools at his disposal in terms of running and throwing versus a guy like Jason Bean who still gives you a lot of opportunities to make plays and potentially win games. Yeah, so I 100% agree with that. And for what it's worth, Lance Leipold said at his press conference earlier today, he kind of opened things up and mentioned that both Jalen Daniels and Kobe Bryant did not practice. As I was driving into the stadium, here's a little bit of uh, reporting for you here. No, um, <laughs> I just I saw Kobe Bryant wearing a KU practice uniform, but it didn't look like he had like pads on. And he was walking to the thing, so it looked like he was like there, but he didn't like actually practice. But that has to be a good sign since it was like he was. He didn't yeah, look like he was really walking on. like a no, yeah. with like a limp or anything. Maybe there was rapping or, or something. But if it's a leg injury, like I don't know, you never You're know. Because I mean, I've I've seen before where, and I'm not saying this is the case, but we've all seen before where like a guy walks to the locker room and then they're like, oh, he tore his ACL or something. And yeah. again, that's not what I'm saying happened to Kobe Bryant. It's just my quick observation as I was driving by is not obviously yes. uh, something you want to take with we and run with it. We are not doctors. We just simply play them on the radio. Yes. Uh, as far as the other injury, I guess note would be Lonnie Phelps. Like, he still played in the game. He only played 15 snaps, though. Sounds like he's in for full practice. I also saw him driving by, and he was actually running from the practice facility to uh, whatever, the Anderson Football Complex. So. Lonnie Phelps, totally fine, based on that uh, quick little five-second <laughs> snippet. I had a am running across the parking lot. Um, other injury note, this one's from Baylor. Lance Leipold says he expects Blake Shapin to play. So, I, mean, I don't know if that's just... I mean, how... That, I don't really read too much into that. That could just be Lance Leipold saying they're preparing under the guys that he is going to play, because why would you not, I guess? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. But back to the Jalen Daniels thing. Um, specifically for this week against Baylor, that you don't have Jalen for the Bears game. This is obviously a different Bears team than it was a season ago. Last year, they win the Big 12. This year, you're already sitting at 3-3. Three and three. You already have more losses this year than you had last year. And obviously, it's a different Kansas team as well. Okay, he was just a lot better than they were a season ago. Jason Bean, though, really struggled in this matchup a season ago. He was 8 of 17 for 57 yards. This so, was a bad Bean game. Yes. Year. So, knowing that, how much does that worry you headed into this matchup, or are you just like, forget everything that happened last year, it's a totally different year? I, I think you almost have to, at this point, be of the mindset of, forget everything that happened. I mean, I've I've brought it up before on the show about how, historically, Baylor has, you know, rocked KU pretty much every year for the past decade or so, right? And on one hand, it's like, okay, well, none of those players were even remotely with the team or whatever when... Baylor was beaten up on KU 10 years ago. But also, how do you not look at a trend of a team walloping another team every year for a decade and be like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> so, but on that, by that same notion, we know that this is a different Kansas team. This is the Kansas team that's going to compete in every game. And for that reason, I, I, I have all the confidence in Jason Bean. I really do. I, I, I'm confident in Jason Bean. And if he can put together a couple quarters where he's able to play at a high level, KU is going to have a, a really good chance. Uh, again, I the only thing is is we saw it against TCU and it didn't really work out. But late in the game, it, can Jason Bean step up and and lead a drive either to win a game, to ice a game, or to whatever? Can he do that late in the game? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. He wasn't able to do it against TCU, but 
I have a lot of confidence in Jason Bean. And, and, and the offense for KU this year, it's just so vastly different from last year. And and I go back to before the season, Andy Kolnick, he talked about how, you know, during the season they were basically trial and erroring what they thought was going to work or whatever, right? They couldn't even implement what they wanted to do. And now we're, we've seen, obviously, the fruits of the labor of this whole offseason where they were they have been able to implement the entire playbook. They have been able to do everything that they actually want to do offensively that they couldn't do last year. So from an offensive standpoint, I think you do have to almost wipe this wipe the slate clean from that standpoint because you're finally seeing the offense that they wanted to run last year but couldn't because they came in after spring ball and were trying to implement it on the fly, basically. Yeah. I, I think, too, if, if you can win this game with Jason Bean – it alleviates the the pressure of the questions of when will Jalen return, right? Yeah. Because then it's no longer like it's like, okay, you accomplished your goal, you made a bowl game, everything from here is the cherry on top. We don't have to worry about this anymore. So yeah. uh the quicker you can rip off the band aid, get true. to that I mean, win six win. We've, we've talked about how the pressure will continue to rise on KU every time they don't get that six win, but I think what you just said is a great point, too. The pressure is also going to rise on the discussion around Jalen Daniels of, like, is he going to come back? When's he going to come back, right? So there's kind of a two prongs to that that are both obviously negative for KU as long as they as long as they continue to not be able to hit that six one. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner, meeting with the media earlier today at Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Days. That on the other side. Matt Tate will join us in about 20 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> That time on a Tuesday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Next spring, I'm Derek Johnson. We are joined by Matt Tate. You can check out all his work, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Matt, which uh, it feels more unsettled right now for KU? I'm going to have some uh, cross-sport questions for you today. Trying to figure out who will start at center for the KU basketball team or trying to figure out what happened to the KU defense against Oklahoma? Uh, yeah, I think the harder one, was that the question? The harder one of the two is, is, uh, trying to figure out who's going to start at center. I think, uh, that, that's a serious question and, and, um, it's wide open from what it sounds like. Uh, you know, coach self was talking about it a little before late night, uh, basically saying, you know, we got five guys. If you count KJ, that could play a little bit. And, uh, I think he said his words were that I'd rather have one guy that's backed up by uh, the rest of them. And, and know he's going to play 30 minutes rather than, you know, having five guys play eight to ten minutes each. So it's clear, and those weren't exact numbers. I'm, I'm just throwing those out there. But but it's clear that, that they're still working through that and trying to figure that out. And, um, you know, to me, it, it seems like one of those things that, that's got a chance to be, uh, I don't want to say a problem or a distraction or anything negative, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if, if what they go with in the first few weeks of the season maybe changes and maybe they do give a couple of guys a crack because that's not entirely unti- entirely unusual, right? I mean, you can go back to a number of different seasons and, and even deep in the season where, um, you know, the year that Landon Lucas first started late in the season, that was, that was a, a, a pretty big question mark for that team and and i remember hearing conversations about self-talking with his guards you know wayne selden and whoever else was there then and and uh you know part of that conversation and who do you guys want to play with and you know i think a lot of it was was tied to landon's fundamentals and reliability and all those things and and then they kind of 
took off from there. He had a great finish to his junior season. He had a good senior season and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, there, there's things like that that do happen. And so this group, the way it's set up, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe something along those lines of a couple of different guys getting a crack to, to hold down that five spot as the primary guy. Uh, because, you know, for the for the most part, you don't really know if, if a guy can do it until you give him a chance to do it. Um, if you go into it where they're all going to play seven, eight minutes a game, you're not asking any of them to show they can do it for 25 or 30. So I, I think that's a hard one to figure out right now, and I think it's wide open. And, you know, with regard to the question, I think the Kansas defense, I think we can tell what happened there. Oklahoma's pretty freaking good. And Dylan Gabriel came back and was ready to come back. And he's a darn good quarterback. And they have a bunch of five-star players on their offense. And they showed up and did what Oklahoma typically does. So I I think part of it was concerning, for sure. You don't ever want to give up 700 yards. Um, But at the same time, uh, that Oklahoma offense could do that to a lot of teams as long as Dylan Gabriel's out there. So it's not not the end of the world. Uh, You throw it out. you, You move on. And... You see what you can do against Baylor this weekend. Now, if they give up six, 700 yards again against Baylor, then you might start to panic a little bit. But um, I think the defense is, is going to be okay. Um, and, and I think it's a bigger question with the, uh, with the basketball five spot. So um, I like that, though. Let's keep these cross-sport things coming. If you've got more, I'm in. I do have more. Uh, how about this one? Yeah. So right now the season high for carries for Devin Neal is 15. We did see him cross 20, I, I know definitely against Oklahoma last year. I'm sure there were a couple other times. Season high, what, what number will be higher? The season high for carries for Devin Neal or the season high for points for Dewan Harris this year? Oh, that's crazy. I like that one. Uh, I'll take, oh my gosh. <laughs> I almost answered immediately and then I had to think. Fifteen's um, a pretty big number. Um both for carries and for Dewan points, um, because you know KU's got some other guys they can obviously give the ball to, and some quarterback run game and things like that. So I don't know that I don't know that that number is going to go much higher. And I think there's definitely a game or two where where Dewan's going to hit three or four threes, make a few layups, get to the free throw line. Maybe his maybe his season high will be 17 or 18. Uh, hell, he could go for 21, 22. I mean, the guys the guy's capable and he's much improved and, you know, self said recently better than ever, uh, regarding Dewan. So I'll take Dewan and, uh, and I won't even cap it at, at anything. I mean, I just think it'll be higher than Devin Neal's numbers or than his, than his season high for carries. And, and it wouldn't surprise me if Dewan's season high this year is, is into the twenties. I don't think he'll do it very often, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if he's got a game or two in him where he can get into the twenties. So, um, man, that's two for two on the basketball answers. <laughs> Um, and I and I don't know if it's going to keep going that way, but um, but maybe that's not all that surprising because there's a lot of there's a lot of questions about the basketball team, even though they're preseason top five and and very talented. Um, it's still a very different team than the one that that just left and and won it all. And and I think we've had seven weeks to see what this football team's about, so it it, it makes a little bit of sense. But um, we'll see if it keeps going. I'm I'm excited to hear the next one. That was a good one, though. Yeah. Well, Dewan last year he had two 14 point games. He had a 13 pointer in there, and then I think he had three or four times that he had 12. So uh, you wind up pretty close there. It's just if you think Devin Neal's going to have a game where he does have like you know, 25 carries, then you probably take that. But to this point, we haven't really seen it. Um, more likely playing style. KU returning to kind of a predominant triple option look, like we saw the first few weeks. Like maybe we've seen it a little uh, so far the past couple of weeks, but maybe not as much as the beginning of the year. Or 
KU basketball playing a lot of minutes with a small ball five, whether it is what you mentioned with KJ Adams or even Jalen Wilson. Yeah, wow, I like that one. I think it's probably the basketball answer again, man. Um, I, I think in order for KU's uh, football offense to go back to that style, I think it, it, it requires Jalen Daniels to come back. I think there's a chance he could. I don't think that's crazy to think at all. Um, but I don't know, a little bit based on what I asked Lance today about, about being and running the ball, um, I don't know that – they want to run him too much and risk him going down or getting hurt. And then you have to turn to a true freshman who hasn't played at all. And, um, you know, that's not to say Vasco couldn't, couldn't go out and play great. I mean, he could, but it, it changes a lot if, if you, uh, if you put yourself in that position. So I, I think they will be a little bit more conservative with Bean. Um, and, and, and even if Daniels does come back, which again would open that up, you'd, you'd be bringing a guy back into the fold who, you know, missed time with a, what appears to be a shoulder injury. Right. So I don't know that you want to send him out there, you know, in harm's way to, to get walloped, you know, by a blindside defender or something like that either. So, um, so, so even though I'm going with the basketball answer here, it's, it's a, it's probably more about the football part of it. Um, and, and I'll be dead honest with you too. I, I think the idea of playing Jalen or, or KJ at the five and, and doing that a lot and seeing what that looks like with basketball, uh, I think that could be a really fun team. I think it could be really good. Um, part of what Self was talking about last week with, with the, the concerns about the five position right now are not having a guy that you can throw the ball into and score. I mean, he, he pointed to David McCormick's last two shots in the title game against North Carolina. You know, you throw it into the guy. He scores over his right shoulder from four feet, and that's true big man stuff, right? And they don't—they don't. At least he doesn't see it right now that they have that with any of their bigs. And and so I think what they do have, though, is you could probably do that with Jalen, or possibly even a Kevin McCuller, or you know, posting up uh, some other guard, right? Um, maybe even a posting MJ or Grady or somebody like that. So, you know, just because you don't have a five man to throw it into, maybe you, you change a little bit and you, you throw it into one of those guys that's got a smaller guard on them and maybe that works just the same. So I, I think, I think that's going to be a lot of fun if they do that. I think they will do that some, but you know, how much de- de- depends on probably how that five spot develops and, and who emerges there and, and how reliable they are. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's probably more likely um, than, than just triple option quarterbacks running wild. More wins for KU football the rest of the season or more weeks ranked in the top two of the AP poll for KU basketball this season? Oh, my gosh. And you have an AP <laughs> vote, so uh, you could Yeah, yeah, I can directly control this, right? <laughs> um, more wins or more weeks in the top two. Wow. Oh, my gosh. It very well could be a push at a number of different numbers, to be honest. Uh, it could be a push at zero. could be a push at one. could be a push at two. I mean, um, if, they, if they beat Duke in the at that point, it's what, second week of the season and you're undefeated at 3-0, and that might get them to the top two on its own. It might. Or maybe not. It might. Um, yeah, yeah, that's tough. I mean, you'd have to jump some other teams. They'd mm-hmm. have to lose. But you are already up there. You're right. I mean, you're already three spots away from there. I- I'll probably – oh, my gosh. I'll probably 
Oh my gosh, I'm going to lean toward taking the the football win, um, and, and I do it with some hesitation, just because you know they've got their work cut out for them to go win another game uh, or two, and and I think this week's a huge opportunity. I think they, you know, they, they would they would do really well to to figure out a way to go win at Baylor because um, then you got the bye, and then you got Oklahoma State, a top ten team, and then you got you know some tough games after that as well, of course. And, and you're also running out of time once you get past that point. So um, I think this is such a big week for football uh, for a lot of reasons. And, and um, you know, maybe the, the win-loss reason is, is one of them. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, KU's not any stranger to being ranked one or two in, in basketball. But for some reason, I don't know if I feel it this year. That doesn't mean they can't make a run. That doesn't mean they can't win the title. I mean, they, they have talent to do that. But being ranked one or two is not a, a prerequisite to that, you know. So I'll take the football win, and I'll pick it as, like, one or two. And maybe, you know, you, won't, you can write this down and, and clown me if you want, but I might take it as one or two to zero. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I knew you'd like that. I knew it, you'd like that. <laughs> I know. It's, it's just tough to be ranked in this. Like, even the, the 08 team, they were never – they were in the top two, but they were never ranked number one over the course of that season. So you, you, you There know. you go, right? Yeah, it's, it's not a – it's not a given, and, and especially if you consider, like, think about Gonzaga. Um, you know, I know they play a tough non-conference schedule, and they're not afraid to play anybody and all that, but if they make it through that and then they're in their conference yeah. play and they're one or two, they're not moving. You know, they're, they're going to stay there all year. So you're really looking at potentially just one one spot for KU to climb into with, with you know, Baylor's going to be really good. Kentucky's going to be really good. Duke's going to be good. Uh, Houston, I, I really like. Obviously, Carolina is going to be really good. I mean, there's a lot of competition for, for that other spot if, if, if you're not talking about both spots. So um, that's a good one, man. You're on fire today. I, I feel like you uh, I feel like you self-scouted yourself a little bit. Mm. And, you know, maybe the last couple of weeks we're, we're just like, yeah, I'm just going to ask Tate the same questions and, you know, we'll just kind of go through it. But this this was like, this was like prime Derek, like in your prime, you know, before you became a superstar, wow. you were still grinding your way up, you know, that kind of thing. So I love it. You got more? Yeah, I got one more for you. Uh, so KU's playing Baylor this week. We know they'll play Baylor twice on uh, the basketball front. Well, maybe more. Uh, more points by KU football against Baylor this Saturday or more points combined by Jalen Wilson in the two regular season meetings against Baylor this year. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, see, peak, Derek. Just absolute <laughs> prime right here. I mean, just when you were hungry and chasing down your dreams and trying to get to the top. Um, I, I think, I think Jalen's going to average, you know, 14, 15 points a game this year, somewhere in that range, maybe even as high as 16 or so. Um, that doesn't mean he'll do it every game. Baylor's defense is pretty good. They're going to challenge him. They're not going to let him beat him. Um, so basically, you're looking at KU's got to get to, you know, KU football in order to, to have this be their answer. They've got to get to at least 30 and probably 35 um, to, to make me feel confident taking them. So I will take that. Um, I, you know, look, Bean was, Bean was really good in the second half against TCU in limited time. Um, he had a pretty good game last week at OU, and they threw up 42. And, and you know, he still hasn't had all the time in the world to really prep and get timing right and familiarize himself with the, the 
first team completely and all that stuff, and yet he's put up good numbers. So I will take the Kansas football offense this weekend against Baylor to have more points than Jalen will in two regular season games. We're not going to throw the, the possible meeting in the Big 12 tournament in there, um, right? You're not going to. That's right. You're not going to backdoor me on that one. Okay. Nope. Okay. So I'll take I'll take KU football. Did I take? No, I took basketball most of the time today, so I needed that one. Um, but, yeah, I'll take KU football this weekend. Um, I don't know how many points they're going to score. I don't know what, what the outcome is going to be either. I haven't really spent a whole lot of time predicting or deciding that yet. But um, I like him to get into the 30s, win or lose. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of just where we are with the uh, KU offense. But I think all those should be pretty close. Well, uh, Matt, I appreciate sure. the time as For always, sure. man. You can uh, check out all his work, KUSports.com in the LJ world. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks, Derek. Have a good one, man. And, and you know, if you can keep this pace throughout the week, <laughs> you're on your way, buddy. You are on your way. This that's is tough. Good stuff. I enjoyed it. It's tough pace. Thanks, to as up. always, man. All right. That's Matt Tate. Check out all his work, KUSports.com and in the LJ world. Joining us here on a Tuesday on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We got plenty more audio to get to you today. We have my college football playoff rankings coming up next. Kevin Flaherty is going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. World of college football, where chaos reigns supreme. One man, one myth, one legend will sort it all out with his college football playoff rankings. This man's name is I love sleeping in on Saturdays and I love college football games. You're listening to Derek's College Football Playoff Rankings on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You need to go back to whatever the hell you was doing before you got on the radio. Let's get to the rankings now. All right, another week, another time for my college football playoff rankings. Coming up in a little, we're going to have some Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day audio from some Zoom interviews over with the KU Women's Basketball team. There's some roundtable stuff that's going to be happening here in a few minutes. We'll share that for you later in the show. We're going to have some Lance Leipold audio as well. Kevin Flaherty will join us at 5.05. But let's do it, Nick. Crank the music, baby. Time oh, for another college football playoff rankings. I can only stall so long. Give me the music right now. There we go. <laughs> All right. First, off the list, the opposite of Colorado. They they won a game against I, Cal. Yeah, they beat Cal. Yeah. Dude, that was crazy. That I, means, I didn't watch it, I know. but I was like, how, how did that even happen? That means the opposite of Colorado got a loss. And then uh, <laughs> KU against the spread. I guess technically they could be unbeaten if you got them at the closing line of 10 and a half. But I think for most people, lost against I, I the spread. Not, I did not have them at 10 and a half. Mm, no. James Madison also lost. They were upset. That was tough. That yeah. was a tough one. So, three new teams. I want to give an honorable mention. I don't normally do this. You have to have a special recognition to get an honorable mention. <laughs> okay. Big 10 defenses. Did you know they have three of the top five in the country in yards allowed per game? And they also have four of the top five in points allowed per game. And one of those four isn't even one of the original three. So it's Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan, and uh, Illinois? Illinois and Illinois? Minnesota are like, there's five different schools who are between those those two stat categories. Huh. They just have five dominant defenses in the league. Maybe Iowa's offense isn't so bad. Maybe it's just good defense. Nah, they're pretty bad. Okay, <laughs> number eight. 
Mount Union. They were number seven last week. They dropped down to number eight, even despite a 49-14 to win over Capital. That's a bad win for them because weren't they exactly. giving up six points per game? Yep. I mean, they're 6-0 now. Wayne Ruby Jr., my favorite, went for 166 yards. He went for three touchdowns. He's now on pace for 37 touchdowns in a 14-game season. But unfortunately, yeah, they gave up 14 points yeah. coming into that game. The first five games, they gave up 13. Yeah. Not a great showing overall. Sorry, they've set a high bar. So they drop a spot to number eight. Number seven, new team on the poll. Oregon, if we don't count week one. Okay. You know, why, why should we count week one? NFL gets preseason. They get exhibition games. Basketball, yeah. we get secret I mean, scrimmages and exhibitions. Fair, that was basically an exhibition game for Georgia. Sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> come on. A new coach for Oregon. What do you expect? It's not fair. <laughs> so don't count it. Week one doesn't count. And if you don't count week one, Oregon is 5-0 and with an average score of 50-25. to They have an elite running game, balanced. All sorts of players can go after you on the ground. They have impressive wins along the way. BYU. At Washington State, our former number one team, Nick Springer, and two other Pac-12 schools who exist and try their best. Oregon after week one, if we don't count it, in at number number seven. Okay. Number six, new team on the list, South Alabama. Really? Well, we got to get some Sunbelt love on here. Best conference in college football. I think we would both oh, yeah. agree on that. Yeah, Oh, absolutely. Not even close. And they are five and one this season. Do you know the only team who beat them? Um, is it like, is it like Clemson or Alabama or something? Close. It's UCLA. Okay. <laughs> Their only uh, loss the is juggernaut. to UCLA, and they lost by one point on the road against UCLA. Nick, what is your favorite Thanksgiving vegetable? Mm. Uh, Do you not, have any Thanksgiving really, vegetables? I'm not really a big vegetable guy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> There's so many options. That's just like throw, what? Like what? There's Anything, green bean green casserole. Bean, broccoli, there's is a potato. Yeah, no, potato's oh. a vegetable, right? Oh, potato's uh, a vegetable? Okay, well, that's has got to be, right? Yams, sweet potatoes. Dude, there's potatoes. so many vegetables. Okay, potatoes. So many. Okay. The correct answer was yams is what we were looking for. Is in Yam Banks. The team's safety who has three interceptions this season. South Alabama, good. They're number six. Okay, he's the safety for Alabama. Okay, or South Alabama. Yes. Okay. Correct. Yam Banks. Okay. Number five. They were actually number four last week, so they dropped. Big Ten, whoever is winning the Big Ten East. Michigan ousted Penn State. They so we, pretty badly. Yes. Yeah. But guess what? It's not a loss for whoever's winning the Big Ten East because <laughs> Michigan just takes the claim over Penn State. Technically, Michigan is in first ahead of Ohio State because they've played one more game. But realistically, both are right there, 7-0 and 6-0, and 4-0 in conference play, 3-0 in conference play is, to the two teams. Is Michigan-Ohio State the last game of the season? Yes. Okay, so 11-0 versus 11-0. That, that would be awesome. Yeah. And whoever's winning the Big Ten East, you're in yeah. at number five right now. Yeah. Congratulations. A new team is on the list at number four, however. All the way to number four? That's right. Wow. Whoever is winning the SEC East. <laughs> Look at that. Tennessee beat Alabama. And now you have Tennessee and Georgia doing the exact same thing Michigan and Ohio State are doing. Tennessee, like Michigan, 7-0. and Tennessee, like Michigan, 4-0 in conference play. Georgia, like Ohio State, 6-0. Georgia, like Ohio State, 3-0 in conference play. It's just that the Bama win is more impressive than the Penn State win yeah. for the SEC side of things. Even though Michigan pretty much blew out Penn State, yes. the committee views the Alabama win is more? Correct. Okay. Plus, Tennessee and Georgia are both top five in yards per game. 
Georgia's third in yards allowed per game, second in points allowed per game. A little more balance between the two, maybe. Okay. They're all really good, but they're in at number four, whoever is winning the SEC East. Into the top three, this team stays at number three, TCU. They had an overtime win against a team we did not rank, so, you know. Kind of a close game. Yeah. Close call. Not great, but they're 6-0. Max Duggan, Quentin Johnson look like Dark Horse Heisman candidates. People are asking, though, everywhere I go, walk down the streets, what does TCU got to do to be TC2? What do they got to do to move up into the top two? <laughs> what do they, win against what, a ranked team. What do they know. have to do? Uh, they, against, they've beaten two ranked teams the well, past two weeks. Not my rankings. Oh. They beat one with Kansas. Okay. Oklahoma State, you, you went to overtime against an unranked team. Yeah. So, in at number three, status quo. Number two, staying at number two, Iowa with an average offense. They had a bye week. Um, as we've mentioned before, they're three and three in real life. They would be six and zero oh if you gave them an average offense based on the amount of points that an average offense scores and the scores of the games that they lost to. Technically, though, they'd be seven and zero oh with an average offense because this week they had a tie, zero zero with the bye week. I do not have any evidence that they would have beaten the bye week and would have been able I, to point, I, score any points on them. I kind of agree with you, actually. Yes, like it, the the bye week might have given them an L. Yes. Without an average offense. Well, the bye week can't score, but the bye week, did (laughs) Iowa put up any points on them? I don't think they did. So 0-0, probably a tie. But with an average offense, they do beat them. Yes. And they're actually 7-0 with an average offense at this point. So they had an impressive win. They move up to number two. Number number, one. They were number two last week. I'm sorry. Yes. Right. Number one. You know the rankings better than I do. (laughs) Controversy. Los Angeles remains number Uh, one. I hate Los Angeles. Wow, you just hate a whole city? Yes. That's rude. Why did they get to be number one again? USC lost at Utah. Exactly. UCLA had a bye week. So they lost. I mean, first of all, (laughs) Lincoln Riley did not like the officiating. And who am I to disagree with a man who owns a mansion in Southern California? Eh, I guess. But, But, so I mean, asterisk lost to begin with. Question, I am questioning the integrity of the committee here. Why? The number one team lost, and they're still number one? Why do I have to, you know, if you're number one, and, like, why do we have to change our mind? <laughs> if if the... I mean, I guess technically it's only a half loss because only half of the city lost. Yeah. The well, other half didn't lose. I mean, if the Buffalo Bills lose this next week to whoever they're playing, are we going to sit there and go, they're no longer the best team in the AFC? No, we're still going to say they're number one. What's more impressive? What's more impressive? Because here's where the volume comes into. Even though they did lose, the city of Los Angeles is 12 and one. What's more impressive? 12 and one or seven and zero? Well, if if you remember from your previous no, answer the question: 12 and one or seven and zero? I I don't know. It's 12 and one. (laughs) Well, if you remember by that logic from the previous rankings, me Nick Springer, my my record is like 20 and two. I think I don't think that's right. Is it? Well, no, because I think because Washington K- State K- just lost to Oregon State. KU has two losses. Yeah. My my incarnate word Cardinals at the FCS level they have one loss. Yeah. Washington State's four and three. Okay, so I'm so I have seven losses. Yes. But I have like very 20 different wins. than one. Yeah, but that's way different than twelve and one. <laughs> I'm telling you, twelve and one better than seven zero. If you if you put you know we had a couple years ago we had the COVID year Ohio State had a shortened year they were like what five and zero or something like that. I think they made the college football playoff, but they were like the three seed. Okay. Whereas you had, I think, Clemson, who was maybe like 12-1 and one or something. They were the two seed. 
I don't know if that's even right, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know either. It's more impressive. I stand by it. Los Angeles remains in at number one through that's, some controversy. That's tough. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is my college football playoff rankings. If you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, check out Venue 1235, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got some audio from KU Women's Basketball Big 12 Media Days. We'll share that with you on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on the show. And uh, we're going to talk some K- some Big 12 football, some Big 12 basketball, some KU stuff here a- as well. We'll start on the football front here. KU falls to Oklahoma 52-42. to we, we brought this up yesterday, Kevin, and I guess the only other team that we put into the conversation was maybe OU. It, d- does KU have the worst defense in the Big 12? You know, it might be right now, and it's it's a combination of factors. I do think that health is probably one of those factors. You know, you look at the fact that Kansas has lost, you know, guys at arguably the two most important positions on defense. When you have a pass rusher, you know, Lonnie Phelps obviously played against Oklahoma. I think he played like 15 snaps and it was banged up and wasn't anywhere near, you know, 100%. And then when you when you lose Kobe Bryant that way too, and you have a playmaking cornerback like Kobe is, you know those are those are big losses, and they're at positions where where Kansas maybe isn't equipped to take those losses. And so I know as good as Daniel Highshaw is and was when he went down, you know you felt like Kansas had cover at that position, whether it was you know Devin Neal who was sort of one and one A with him whether it was Kai Thomas, who's a proven college player, who's run for over 800 yards, you know, last season, you know, whether it was Savion Morrison, who who's a guy that's had some really good carries and has shown some explosiveness. You felt like you had covered there. I, I feel like on defense, and, and there are exceptions, I, I do feel like, you know, defensive tackle and, and maybe linebacker, there are certain spots where Kansas is maybe a little bit deeper and, and can afford to, to deal with injuries or attrition a little bit easier, but those are two spots where maybe Kansas didn't have as much depth. And so I think that Kansas is probably in that discussion, like we talked about before, but I think that when you look at, Hey, you know, they're not playing with a hundred percent healthy Lonnie Phelps, who is, you know, maybe the sort of the one all big 12 guy on that defense and or, you know, not playing with with Kobe Bryant, I, I think that stuff really starts to add up for Kansas. Well, I guess the, the follow-up for me then is with the offense, how good does the offense need to be then for this team to, say, win seven games, to win two more games along the way? And where do you think they realistically rank with Jason Bean as the quarterback versus when Jalen Daniels is in there? Yeah, I love that question because, you know, friend of the show, I guess you would call him Michael Swain, <laughs> uh, and I we were having that same discussion, and when you look at the Oklahoma game, you look at the numbers, you look at the fact that the offense put up 42 points, and you say Jason Bean was, was pretty good, right? Like, he, he played fairly well, but Kansas needed him to be great, and when you look at 
at sort of that little slide of possessions that you had that allowed Oklahoma to to build the lead. Jason Bean wasn't making the plays, and it's not all on him. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying when you go from a guy who was making those plays where it felt like, okay, Kansas has to have this play, and Jalen Daniels goes out and makes that play against West Virginia or somebody else, uh, I think that really shows how thin that margin for error is. And I think that Kansas does have multiple games left that, that the Jayhawks could win if Jason Bean was quarterback. But I think that there are certain things that Jalen Daniels does at, at a really high level that not a whole lot of other quarterbacks across the country do at the level that he does. And so you do see some drop-off there. The one thing I will say, though, about the defense and about the offense needing to be at that level is I'm not sure there are a lot more teams on the schedule that are capable of attacking Kansas the way that Oklahoma did in terms of, you know, tempo not just being something they can do, but really being where they live, where it's something that they work through conditioning. It's something that they always do. They sub so infrequently that Kansas wasn't able to sort of make its hockey line changes on the defensive line that it did before. And then you had a quarterback who was playing at a really high level and wide receivers who, quite frankly, were better than the defensive backs covering them. And I think when you look across the rest of the Kansas schedule, I'm not sure Texas, obviously, you would think would have the quarterback and the weapons, but I'm not sure there's a team that combines all of that, the tempo, the quarterback, and the the receivers the way that Oklahoma does. And so I don't think that we necessarily have to sit here and say, well, the offense has to score 50 points or or it's going to lose in some of these for these next few matchups. KU takes on Baylor on Saturday. You can hear it here on KLWN pregame 930 kickoff at 11 o'clock. How do the Jayhawks match up with the Bears? Because in the past, we have uh, not seen this series go too kindly to KU. So how does this version <laughs> of the Jayhawks match up with this version of the Bears? Well, it's, it's super fascinating because I, I feel like most of us thought heading into the season – hey, Baylor's going to run the ball really well with what they returned in the trenches with that group of running backs. And they're going to go as far as Blake Shapin takes them. You know, is is he capable of playing the way that he did in that Big 12 title game where they knocked off Oklahoma State? Or, you know, is, is he more of a, a middling quarterback? And I think it, it's funny because I think the passing game has kind of checked the questions that, that you had. And Baylor's running game has just been a little bit off, you know, kind of throughout. They haven't quite gotten the angle, haven't quite made the block. The guy hasn't always followed the right hole or gone the right way. And so the scary thing about this game, Derek, is you watch Baylor on tape and you can see that Baylor is not far off, especially offensively and on that offensive line. And you would hate to be the team that, that, hey, it, they were a few inches off, and now they're not those inches off. And the Baylor team that we thought, you know, is potentially a Big 12 contender shows up. But the flip side of that is, is, is Baylor hasn't been that team for a lot of the season. And if you look at, at that passing attack, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure what Shapin's situation is, obviously, after getting knocked out against West Virginia, whether it's going to be drones again at quarterback. But I do think that 
it's a situation where Kansas probably, you know, if guys play their assignments, if they can limit explosives, it's probably going to be a game with a score line that, that Kansas's offense has a better chance to keep up with. And the surprising thing last weekend, or I guess last Thursday, Derek, was I was stunned how well West Virginia ran the ball on Baylor because I feel like even when Baylor has not been at its best defensively, stopping the run has been one of Dave Aranda's non-negotiables. You know, it's like Bill Self and allowing offensive rebounds. You know, you just cannot do it and, and you know, perform at the level that they want you to. And they really allowed West Virginia to run for over 200 yards. You know, they ran it extremely effectively. On the final drive that set up the field goal, I think uh, you had JT Daniels, what, complete like a 12- or 13-yard pass, and then they ran the ball to get into field goal range. I think they broke a, a really long carry and had another, you know, eight- or nine-yard carry to get into field goal range. And so you aren't used to seeing that from Baylor, and so there are some encouraging signs from Kansas, that's a really long-winded way to say it. But there are some things there that I think if Baylor is just a little bit off, you know, and continues to be on the running game, if Blake Shapen either doesn't play or, or isn't up to the level that he's played at recently, and if Baylor continues to stop the run game and doesn't fill gaps the way that it's supposed to, this may be a game that, that we kind of circled in September and said, oh, this is an automatic loss. But it may be the sort of game where Kansas maybe hangs around a little bit more than we thought they would have before. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. I want to switch over to some hoops. Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day ongoing right now. Men's Media Day going on tomorrow over in Kansas City. And uh, I want to go through some of the top projected teams in the conference for, for the men's side of things and get kind of your take on on what you think their biggest strength could be and, and maybe the biggest question for each of those teams coming into the year. So let's start with the top. We'll go in order from the teams and, and where they were picked in the conference. The team who was picked to win the league is the Baylor Bears. Uh, what would you say their biggest strength is and, and what's maybe your biggest question? Yeah, they've got terrific guard play. I mean, when you're looking at Adam Flagler, who was the guy that I thought was probably going to be my preseason Big 12 player of the year, and you're not even entirely sure he's their best guard. You know, with the addition of, of Keontae George, who's going to be one of the best freshman guards, LJ Cryer led that team in scoring last year until he went out with injury. I know he got passed after that. But that's a lot of firepower in that backcourt. I think the biggest weakness is I'm not sure that Baylor scores it down low. You know, I'm not sure that they're going to, to generate the sort of easy baskets that you'd like to have on offense. But the other thing that, that's kind of interesting, I think, Derek, and something that, that kind of popped up a little bit in their international trip was I'm not sure how well that team defends in space because they don't have necessarily lockdown defenders at most of those guard spots. They're, they're better at scoring right now. And when you look at, at Flo Thamba, there are things he does well defensively. There are things he doesn't do well. And with Jonathan Chamwachachua's situation, you know, we're not really entirely sure, you know, sort of where, where he's going to be. And he's kind of the one guy that could maybe – you know, fix some of those issues or, or shore up in terms of how they how they keep people out of the lane. And so that's going to be something to watch with this year's team is maybe they aren't quite as defensive-minded as they have been in previous years. 
Next team up is the Kansas Jayhawks. What is uh, the biggest strength you think for KU and, and the biggest question you have? Yeah, it's it's weird to say because we know that Bill Self will find his guys, right? Because Bill Self is not typically going to play 12 guys in a game. But I do think the depth comes in handy. And I think you saw that last year when Remy Martin, you know, had sort of his injury issues and Kansas was able to, to tap into Joseph Yesifu and grab some big wins that allowed the Jayhawks to, to win the conference and, and ultimately, you know, get into the NCAA tournament with a great seed. They kind of pared down the rotation at that point. But I do think Kansas's depth is, is a big thing. I don't know. I know some people wanted to pick Jalen Wilson as sort of their preseason Big 12 player of the year. I don't know that Wilson is going to do that just because I'm not sure who leads this Kansas team in scoring. I think you're going to have a, a multi-pronged approach and one of those teams where maybe you have a bunch of people score between 7 and 13 points a game. But I really think that just the sheer number of options, the fact that Self can tap into that for competitive purposes, if there are injuries, I think that that's probably the biggest strength. And this team has a had a chance to be terrific defensively if, and here's the weakness part, if they can figure out their interior defense. And I think that that's going to be the big question. How many teams in the country are going to have a defensive duo like Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller? I mean, it, it, it has to be on one hand if, you know, you're, if you can even find any, but, once people are able to get into the lane, and David McCormick wasn't necessarily a rim protector, but he got pretty good at, at hedging it and getting out and protecting the lane, whether it's Zach Clements, whether it's Zuby Ejiofor, whether it's Ernest Duday, you really have to find somebody that can provide that back line for that Kansas defense to be elite. And the other thing is, is the thing that McCormick did do well at times, and and certainly in the Final Four and National title game, was he was a guy that could score on the interior. And that's not necessarily something that's real natural for those guys either. And so I think if Kansas is able to solve those two things, they don't necessarily have to solve both of them. If they can solve one of the two, they'll be really, really good. But those are the biggest questions I have for, for Kansas. I know some people say shooting, but I think they'll probably get enough shooting for for what they're going to be the biggest questions i have are at that five spot next team was predicted to be the texas longhorns who interestingly enough came in at number two in the inaugural ken palm ratings so uh what are your answers there for texas strength and weakness i feel like are the exact same thing (laughs) in that you know you love in theory a backcourt of tyrese hunter and marcus carr I mean, who who wouldn't? And I also think when you look at it as more than theory, you say, well, how is this thing actually going to work? And, you know, Tyrese Hunter is a guy that he can score, but he is, you know, a little bit more natural table setter than Carr is. But Marcus Carr wants the ball in his hand. And Tyrese Hunter can't table set when the ball is in Marcus Carr's hands. And, so that's a big part of it. I do think Texas will probably be really good defensively. I think when you look at, at Chris Beard's teams, I think one of Beard's weaknesses that we've seen is he has a lot of turnover. Guys, you know, transfer out. They 
they leave early, whatever else. This year's team, you basically have four returning starters when you look at, at Carr, uh, Timmy Allen, uh, Dylan Dissu, and, and Christian Bishop. And so with him having that, Brock Cunningham back as well, uh, I think he's going to have a pretty good team. And, and I think that it's a group that's going to sort of understand the assignment better than they did last year. I just wonder, again, how how that whole thing is going to work with with sharing the ball when you have two guys who are maybe at their best with the ball in their hands, or at least one of the guys thinks he's at his best when the ball is in his hands. I, I'm not sure how that's going to go entirely. TCU was picked to finish fourth, and uh, that's a team that I, I think it's kind of interesting because it feels like Creighton is getting a lot of preseason love for – uh, what they had last year and bringing back a lot of players and uh, having a near second round win over a one seed and I'm sitting there like Man, didn't TCU do the same thing like obviously they're they're being preseason ranked in the top 20 and everything but maybe not as high as, as Creighton so uh, what's kind of the thought process through uh, TCU? Yeah I mean the big thing with TCU is there were two things last year that TCU was just absolutely awful at. <laughs> And that's shooting from the outside and turning the ball over. And I think when you look at, at bringing all those guys back, you know, it's kind of the classic good news, bad news situation, right? You, you bring back a, a ton of guys, but unfortunately they're the same guys who struggled with all of that. And I think when you look at that roster, I do wonder a little bit, hey, where's, where's the outside shooting going to come from? You know, Mike Miles could shore up some of the turnover stuff. It certainly wasn't all on him last year. He's a heck of a player. I think the strength of that team, I think, is going to be its defense. And anytime you have a really high-level defense and one of the best point guards in the country like TCU is probably going to have, you're probably going to be a pretty good basketball team. But I still think that when you're looking at, you know, sort of the NCAA tournament and, and things that can crop up and, and send teams home earlier than what they think. I think, you know, TCU could very easily have one of those sort of 18 to 20 turnover games while shooting five for 26 from three. And if that happens, you know, you're not usually going to win a lot of those and, and having a couple of those games could ultimately be what keeps TCU from winning the conference too. If they have those against the wrong teams, if you have that, kind of game on a trip to Stillwater, you know, you may drop a game in Stillwater that maybe the contenders don't. And, and so I think that uh, I think that's sort of the interesting thing with TCU is they were in the 300s in turnover rate offensively and in three-point field goal percentage. I mean, among the worst teams in the country, with all those guys coming back, do those things improve or, or is it, you know, is it one of those things where TCU is is a slightly better team this year than, than last year, but maybe they don't fix those sort of glaring and potentially fatal issues? All right, so teams 5 through 10 with Tech, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Kansas State, Iowa State, and uh, I don't even know which one I'm missing there. Um, West uh, Virginia. There we go, West Virginia. Among those six schools, which of them do you think outperforms their preseason expectations the most? You know, Texas Tech's ranking is really interesting to me because they were a team that, that I thought had a chance to be pretty good, and I realize I'm a lot higher on Kevin O'Banner than a lot of people are. I probably would have had him on my preseason first-team All-Big 12. Um, I think that, you know, they've got 
some interesting pieces around him as well. I don't think that they're going to exceed their ranking the most because they did, didn't they slip into the, like the preseason AP top 25 at like number 25. Yes, they are exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you could, you could see them outplaying their ranking and still being say fourth in the big 12 and number 15. and, And so it's not a major shift. The team that, fascinates me the most on on that back end I think is Oklahoma State because it's a team that has some talent potentially could have a really good guard play and a rim protector and we don't really know what they have because they played all of last year under the cloud of no postseason And, and so as good a job as I thought Mike Boynton did last year to keep them competitive it, it couldn't have been easy, and, and I think that when you look at, at them heading into this year, it's possible that he could have a top 25, you know, top 30, top 35 type team, and people just don't realize it because last year he was coaching a group of guys who, who already knew how the story ended. They didn't have a postseason, not the Big 12 tournament, not the NCAA tournament. That wasn't available to them, and so... I think that that's sort of the fascinating team on that quote unquote back end where I look at it and say, this is a, this is a team that maybe could considerably exceed expectations just because I don't know that we had a very real look at, at what they were, or how good they were last year because of all of that. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work at 24 seven sports and with CBS sports, Kevin appreciate the time as always, man. And uh, see you at big 12 media days tomorrow. All right, sounds great, Derek. That was Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. For Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.